Welcome to the 91st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a quick review of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping week nine of the college football season, and a look back at week eight of NFL action. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in NCAA football action, where Patrick went two and two with his predictions. And in the NFL, Patrick went one and three with his weekend predictions. So Patrick was three and five overall this past weekend with his predictions, bringing him to 214 and 163 overall, a 56.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts? Well, uh, in the in college football, uh, w- well, we'll get into the overall results of the games later, but. Uh, two close games that I lost for those predictions, and one of them really reeled by injuries, honestly, to be to, for really why I lost that game. So I'm not too surprised that I lost those two after seeing what was going on. I wanted to pick a different upset game, but I wasn't able to because it wasn't technically one of the better games of the weekend, um, and I would have replaced it with the game that I predicted correctly anyway, but uh, we'll get to those games uh, in a second. Um, in the NFL, there were uh, we're also going to talk to the about those later. But uh, there was one game, I mean, the, the last two games, I was 1-1. One one. Uh, as we know, the Cardinals, because this was forever ago, so we're not really going to talk about that one too much, because frankly, I think everybody's already uh, had their piece about that one. But, you know, the Cardinals had the opportunity to win this game, and A.J. Green did not turn around for the ball in the end zone uh, on a chance for a game-winning drive. So that was one loss I had. Tom Brady, with two, with two down two points with two minutes to go, uh, you figured he would win the game, and he threw a pick six to the Saints, and that lost me another prediction. And Justin Herbert up one on his own 20-ish yard line on a third down play threw a pick six. Uh, so a lot of interceptions relating to end zones <laughs> that ended all three of my predictions. And then the only other one that I got right was the Titans, and guess how the Titans got the game to overtime? A Carson Wentz pick six. So a lot of pick sixes this week, so a lot of picks in general. Uh a lot of picks that in that influence my picks, so to say. There we go. So, um, and that's really that, that's really did you how hear that happened the this week. AJ Green thing? I know you and I noticed it when we were watching. It said that he was it looked like he was looking up at the scoreboard. Apparently, he thought it was a running play. Yeah, I mean that makes sense because yeah, not I'm not too surprised, but yeah, there was a big miscommunication there. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website fourthand24.com on Thursday. So now let's move on to our next topic, which is our weekly look back. At college football, Patrick, uh, what were the best games of this past week, week nine of NCAA football action? Well, if you liked scoring, then this was the week for you. Uh, all of these games feature a winning team who scored more than 33 points. No uh, no, no, no defensive affairs this weekend, to be quite honest, uh, except for, well, Georgia. But Georgia's going to be Georgia. Uh, we'll get to that one later. Um, BYU beat Virginia 66-49. to A crazy game. Which at halftime the score was what thirty eight to forty two or yeah, something. Yeah, points in the first half. Yeah, uh, Virginia was up at the half forty eight to or sorry thirty eight to thirty two, and uh, or no sorry forty two to thirty eight. I keep go. mixing it up. Um, it and 80. I mean there were so many there were so many scores in this game that it's hard to keep track of who was actually in the lead. It was very very confusing. A lot of long touchdowns, a lot of quick touchdowns. Um, and then BYU in the second half, but I mean, this was a more normal second half, only 35 combined points, which is not really much of an only, (laughs) uh, but BYU controlled the second half, won this game by 17. And really, 
uh, an impressive showing for them because Virginia is a team that, even though they weren't ranked, they were a team who, I mean, you, you figure the winner of this game, if, if all if all chaos breaks loose in the rest of college football, the winner of this game was going to enter into the top 20, most likely. Uh, BYU did that, and Virginia was also 6-2, and two, same record as BYU going into this game. A little bit of a lighter schedule, but... Uh, especially after Miami's win at Pitt, some of Virginia's wins look better themselves. So uh, one of these teams is going to end up ranked decently high in probably very high twenty or twenty-one, twenty-two, or in the or in the top twenty uh, by the time the AP poll comes out, and we'll see what the playoff has to do with it. Um, but BYU won this game, and they end up ranked, I think, eighteenth in the next poll. So. Uh, BYU with a good win there. And then Houston with the upset of SMU beating them 44-37. SMU was ranked 19th, 7-0 on the season. Every single time you brought up Cincinnati's hard game against SMU, I said watch out for Houston. And what happens? Houston beats SMU. Now you have the second best team in the conference, I believe, is Houston. Uh, And I really thought that throughout the season. I mean, look, they had a tough week one loss to Texas Tech, and SMU really just never played a team of that caliber. Uh, so they were looking pretty even going into this game, and since Houston had that home game coming up for them, I, I thought they would take this win, and they did. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, after a game where Houston was up 14 to nothing at the beginning, and then SMU came back to take a 20 to 14 lead, you actually end up with Houston or 20 to 17 lead. Sorry, uh, you end up with Houston winning this game off of a kickoff return touchdown with 20 seconds left after SMU thought. They had made the game-tying drive to send this game probably to overtime with about 30, 40 seconds left, and uh, Houston takes back the kickoff and wins the game off of it. It's a crazy Crazy. ending to a game. Uh, And then you have Ohio State, Penn State. Ohio State struggled through a little bit of this game. They they played this game a little bit closer than I thought they would, Um, but in the end, I mean, I wasn't expecting this game to be a blowout just because Penn State had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder after losing to Illinois at home, regardless of what that says about their team. Typically, teams will play better than they are after they lose, regardless of if they're good or not. So Penn State was going to play above expectations, whereas Ohio State really cruised cruised to a win at Indiana in primetime and maybe got ahead of themselves a little bit. Uh, maybe they didn't look forward enough <laughs> to this game against Penn State. Um, and maybe a little bit of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs syndrome there where uh, you get a little bit too excited on how good you are and how talented you are, and you realize that, hold on, you got to actually take care of business before you start looking at bigger things like games against Michigan State, games against Michigan, the Big Ten Championship game, that kind of a thing. Uh, and they, they they played well enough in the end to pull this game out. Really, it was their defense that was impressive, uh, only giving up 24 to Penn State and also getting a fumble return touchdown, uh, which was pretty Big important in the game. outcome of the game. Yeah. Uh, And then finally, Michigan State and Michigan probably played what was the game of the year. It was really, really sloppy overall, to be quite honest. Uh, Turnovers by both teams really throughout the game. Uh, A lot of good defensive plays, but also a lot of huge plays given up by either team. Uh, A 93-yard touchdown for the first touchdown of the game by Michigan. Then Michigan also gave up five touchdowns to Kenneth Walker, who, by the way, at this point in the season... If he continues, frankly, I don't think he even needs to continue anything. As long as he does anywhere near what he's been doing for the rest of the four games of the season, he needs to be in New York. I'm not saying he needs to win the Heisman, but he needs he to be, be sitting at that he, ceremony. He will be if he continues this. Um, and, but I'm saying I don't even think he needs to continue it. I think he did it in one big game, and that's enough, because typically Heisman winners don't even need to come from the number one team. Typically, you know, we've seen it with Lamar Jackson in the past. He can lose to Deshaun Watson. 
uh, the other top contender and still really easily win the Heisman race. All you need to have is nine and three, ten and two team where you're the one carrying the load of it. Uh, and Kenneth Walker did that for sure for Michigan State this weekend. And with only two ranked games coming up in the rest of the season, unless they slip up against Purdue, it's looking like they like he they'll have that formula of the ten and two team with the guy who's pretty much doing everything for them. Uh, and look, Michigan State at the end of this game just pulled out a lot more momentum. They played better at the end of this game. Michigan made a lot of plays early in the game. Michigan State played a lot of made a lot of plays late in the game. The refs made a lot of plays throughout the game. Um, but and that's but be- that's beside the point. And uh, Michigan State ends up with the win. And in in I mean, really though, one of the best games of the season, easily. I think probably the best. Yeah, and we're we are we are proud Michigan fans. And despite the gut wrenching nature of that loss, looking back on it, it was one of the best football games you'll ever see. And I think even when we were watching, we said, "Boy, this game's excruciating if you're a fan." But if you don't have a a vested interest in it. This is one of the, probably one of the best games you'll ever see. So totally agree with you on that, except for the outcome. All right, let's go to, uh, besides that, Michigan State upset of Michigan. Uh, what were some of the biggest upsets of the weekend? Well, I wouldn't go as far to say that that was really an upset. No. As you got two teams, you got teams ranked within two of each other in the lower ranked Michigan team at home. Michigan was there by four and a half, but bigger Yeah, upsets. but still. Uh, West Virginia. 38-31 to 31 over Iowa State. It seems like every big win Iowa State gets this year, they tend to lose the week after. Or when they're favored in a game, i.e. the Iowa game, uh, they play terribly and then the next week come out and pull out an upset or the next time they have an opportunity. Um, but this is one of those games where Iowa State got the upset win over Oklahoma State last week, barely clawed it out. And this week uh, played the exact same level on offense against a worse team. And that's just not enough. You have to play better than you do against ranked teams, against unranked teams, frankly, if you want to shut them out because they're going to get opportunistic about what they have in that game. They're going to play a better game than you do most likely because you're probably looking over them a little bit. Um, And West Virginia did that. This is a team who's only lost close games all year with good schedule, with a pretty hard schedule. Uh, So I didn't really think that Iowa State was going to walk over West Virginia despite the 3-4 and four record. It's a very deceiving 3-4 and four record that West Virginia had coming into this game, and they proved it with this win. 14-0 uh, in the fourth quarter is the key stat. Iowa State blows a lead, and they're not the only Big 12 team to blow a lead because uh, Texas also blew a lead this weekend against Baylor, although that wasn't an upset and really wasn't that great of a game, so I'm not going to actually mention it officially. Um, but Texas also became or now has the most blown fourth quarter leads in all of college football in the last two seasons, which is something to keep note of. Uh, And here's another Big 12 team blowing a lead, that being Iowa State. Uh, The next one, moving on to the other team in the state of Iowa that's very important, uh, Wisconsin beats Iowa 27-7. I predicted this. This was like the easiest prediction of my entire life, even though it was a top 10 team losing on the road to an unranked team. But Wisconsin has lost to three really, really good teams. Uh, They lost to Penn State, who at the beginning of the year was playing much better than they are now, and still they're a top 20-ish team in a very close game at home where they made a bunch of mistakes, had a bunch of turnovers, and both teams did that. So neither team played clean. Penn State pulled out the win. Then they had a game that was really, really close against Notre Dame until Notre Dame scored like four touchdowns in eight minutes, but only in the last eight minutes of the game when they were already up by three or six or something. They were up, I believe, 13-10 and ended up winning like 31-13, even though it was like 10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Um, 
And then they lost a game to Michigan, who, as we've seen later in the season, is actually a very good team and, and can win on the road very capably. I mean, they uh, even without beating Michigan State this weekend, they proved that they can still play very well on the road. Uh, and Michigan State is a far better team than Wisconsin, too. And Iowa just, frankly, hasn't shown good quarterback play the entire season. It's really just been, can this team create turnovers? And can they not turn it over themselves? All they need to do is create three turnovers, get the scores off of that, and don't turn it over themselves. Their only problem? Well, they fumbled on their own one-yard line in this game, gave a free touchdown to Wisconsin, uh, and also fumbled a few other times and threw another pick. And that's really the story of their season, that if they play clean on offense— their defense will do all the work to get them all the scores. If they don't, they're not scoring anything, and their offense will put their defense in very bad situations. So still a good game played by Iowa on defense, but a terrible game played on offense because they don't have a good offense. Uh, next next uh, upset was Mississippi State, pretty much the opposite of Iowa and Wisconsin. Instead of a lot of running and a lot of turnovers, Mississippi State only likes to throw the ball. They barely, pat, they barely run at all. Um, to the point where it was a it was a remarkable thing to know that they had 55 rushing yards at the half, which was above their season average for a whole game. Uh, they do not run the ball, and Kentucky was not very good at stopping their passing game. Uh, Mississippi State ends up winning this game 31-17 over Kentucky. That was another upset I was going to pick, but didn't because of the other games. And, uh, you know, this is, I mean, look, it's the year of the upset, right? This is one of those things that you figured one of these games has to end up in an upset this weekend. Which one is it? The SEC has had a surprising amount of them this year. Uh, Mississippi State has beaten now Kentucky as number 12 and Texas A&M when they were also ranked in the top 10, I believe, or maybe had just slipped out of it after a loss. But, uh, they've beaten good teams this year. There are a few teams in the SEC who have beaten a lot of good teams in the SEC. And Kentucky's big win that kind of propelled them into the rankings doesn't look so great anymore because Florida's only a 4-4 four and four team. So when you actually take a step back at it, Kentucky had a close-ish law. I mean, close relative to how, how badly Georgia's been blowing out teams. Relatively close game against Georgia. Your best one was a close loss to Georgia? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, but in the rest of their season, really played kind of the weaker teams in the SEC because they're in the weaker division, and they play one of the kind of middle-of-the-pack teams, and they can't take care of them. Uh, so that's really the story of this game. And, uh, yeah, that's it for the upsets, although also uh, Mississippi State's Will Rogers set a school record in completions for a season, and they are only eight games into the year. That's insane. Well, these three upsets, uh, three more instances of unranked team, ranked teams falling to unranked teams, and I guess uh, Houston SMU was one. And also, not to mention the fact that Dak Prescott is also an alum of Mississippi State. So, even more some some pretty big. Uh, and by the way, this isn't even. I mean, I will say I'll spoil it a little bit. I have them being. I have them moving into the rankings tomorrow. However. They're not ranked right now, and they're only five and three on the year. To to set school records in a year where you're five and three is pretty insane. So, just wanted to point that out. It'll be an interesting end of the season. In the SEC. There's a lot of the schedule imbalance and things like that. There's a lot of teams like you've pointed out that you think might be good that maybe they're they're not. Maybe it's the schedule. All right. Well, let's talk about some teams that uh, you think actually showed how good they are this weekend. And they're in the SEC, most impressive teams. Well, I think Georgia is hard to really place into anything, but I just have to give one more shout-out for the season to this Georgia defense because, well, let's just say their last four games are not exactly against the best teams, and I think there's about a 2% chance that I mention them in the rest of the podcast for the rest of the year, and that 2% chance is the chance that they lose a game until the SEC championship game. <laughs> uh, they win this game 34-7 to over Florida. Florida only scored in garbage time in the fourth quarter. Frankly, Dan Mullen's lucky they didn't shut him out because 
Uh, it would have been pretty embarrassing, but that's what this game really was. Uh, I mean, Georgia just completely flat out dominated this game. It was 0-0 zero to zero after the first quarter, and all of a sudden, Georgia scored 21 points in a minute and a half. It was 3 to nothing with three minutes left in the second quarter. Georgia forced a fumble on the 10-yard line, scored on one play. They forced another They forced another fumble. They scored on the next play from the 40-yard line. And then to end the half uh, with Florida trying to drive down the field and get a two-minute drill going to try to get some last-second scoring because they were down 17 to nothing, uh, they throw a pick six on the 50-yard line uh, to N'Kobe Dean. So Georgia just outplayed Florida throughout this entire game. Uh, there's nothing really else you can say about it. Florida had no chance in this game ever. Uh, and... It's probably the first time, I mean, I haven't been running this podcast for a while, but if I had been, this would probably be a game that I would predict every single year, but this year's matchup was not intriguing at all because you knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and then for the next one, also sticking in the SEC, this is a game I did predict. I predicted Ole Miss to beat Auburn. Auburn won 31-20. Bo Nix continues his domination at home. Uh, he's played very well at home throughout his career and not so great on the road, but his best road games have been this year. Uh, and Matt Corral really just got injured in the middle of this game, or not even in the middle of this game, got injured in like the first quarter after the first drive, and that was really, uh, he, he took a drive, off, he was he, he got off the field in the middle of a drive, came back, but was then playing on two bad angles for the rest of the game uh, because he had already had an injury. So, I mean, he's crazy for even playing in the rest of this game. Yeah, uh, he but, had to be helped off the field, and then he played. And then he played, and he also already had an ankle injury to start with that he was dealing with from two weeks ago when he ran the ball 30 times uh, So as a quarterback. Um, so, look, Auburn just played better, though, in this game. They had really early scoring. They had a great game plan to start the game offensively. Uh, led to some early scores. Ole Miss's defense tightened up towards the end of the game, only gave up three points in the entirety of the second half, but Ole Miss went for the fourth down a lot and did not get it. I think they only got it one out of four times. Uh, if they had made two of them and scored touchdowns, they would have won this game, but if they also had kicked three field goals instead, this game would have been much closer, and that Auburn drive that got a field goal in the fourth quarter would have been actually a game-winning drive, so Ole Miss could have made this game closer. That is their style, though. When they don't get the fourth down conversions, they end up looking like this. When they do get them, they look like a really good team, uh, and that's just the way that it goes with the Lane Kiffin team. All right, what about the most impressive players? Well, even in a loss, I have to go with Kenny Pickett because he had 519 yards for a school record. Um, and three touchdowns on the day with, although he did have two interceptions and really he continues to put up a strong case for an outside kind of a Heisman case. We'll see if Pitt can end the season on the right note and actually win their division of the ACC and then maybe win the ACC championship. That would be a good bounce back from this loss that I'll talk about in a second. Uh, then Tyler Algier for BYU in that game of 66 points, you'd figure someone would have to end up on one of the most impressive players. 29 carries, 266 yards, five touchdowns to add to three receptions and 25 yards too. Um, and he was really the only running back that made Kenneth Walker's gonna, game look human. I was going to say, uh, look like a With 23 carries, 197 yards, five touchdowns, three receptions and 11 yards in a rivalry game. Some really great performances this weekend. I mean, three, two run, a running back with 266 yards, a running back with, a, with almost 200 in a rivalry game, both with five touchdowns, and a quarterback throwing for 500-plus yards uh, and a school record. It's a pretty crazy week, and there were some other players that even could have deserved it, too. A lot of players on George's defense even uh, could have put up for this. Uh, a lot of players on Auburn, too. So, uh, But I had to go with these three, and I mean, normally I wouldn't even do three, but these guys were really impressive this week. 
All right, what about the uh, best road wins of the week? Well, I think it's uh, pretty obvious. It's the two unranked teams who won on the road against ranked teams. Uh, Miami beat Pitt 38-34 to despite Kenny Pickett's school record 519 yards. Uh, and then Fresno State beat San Diego State 30-20. to uh, an upset that maybe could have been expected if you look at Fresno State's early season. Uh, they have a win over UCLA. They have a loss by three points to Oregon, and I believe one other loss to or one loss to Hawaii on the season. So they're a good team, and uh, they were able to almost go into Oregon and win on the road. They definitely have the ability to be winning at San Diego State, and that's what they did this weekend. All right, handed the Aztecs their first loss of the year. Uh, and important for that conference uh, conference championship. All right, any overall takeaways from across college football week nine action? After Penn State has taken their third loss of the Big Ten season and Michigan in a, a three-way tiebreaker between them, Michigan State and Ohio State is now guaranteed to not win that tiebreaker just the way that it will unfold in the rest of the season or the way it would have to unfold for three-way tie. Uh, it's Michigan State and Ohio State to decide the Big Ten East and probably the fate of the Big Ten's playoff chances. Uh, we'll have to see what happens in that game. And then if you look at the West... Minnesota now in the lead because of Wisconsin beating Iowa, although Iowa would be hungry to beat Minnesota when they play them, and I have a feeling they might because Iowa's a hard place to win on the road at, and Minnesota plays them on the road. The last time Minnesota had this good of a team played there on the road, they lost, uh, and Iowa might do the same also knowing that their conference championship hopes are on the line there, and I mean, that could force a really crazy tie because also Wisconsin, Iowa, and Purdue are 3-2 and two in the West. Iowa is winless against those other two teams. Uh, which is something to note. Um, But then you have Wisconsin, who will play Minnesota in the final game of the year. And then you have Iowa, who will also play uh, Minnesota towards the end of the year. And I think Purdue has already played them, if I'm not not wrong. Yeah, Yeah, Minnesota did beat Purdue. Um, But Purdue has the win over Iowa. And Wisconsin has the win over Purdue. So Wisconsin so far has beaten two of those three. Iowa has lost to both to both that they've played so far. And Purdue's one and one. So it looks like it's Wisconsin, honestly. I'm leaning Wisconsin. Although Wisconsin has to go on the road in a rivalry game to beat Minnesota. So it is possible that Wisconsin loses that game. And if Iowa beats Minnesota, then all of a sudden, all those teams have two losses. And we'll have to see how that shakes out from there. I think Thanksgiving weekend is going to be major in the Big Ten with Penn State playing Michigan State, Michigan playing Ohio State. Wisconsin playing Minnesota, it's just going to be, it's going to come down to the wire on both those sides. All right, keep going. Speaking of a division that doesn't come down to the wire, Georgia has already clinched the SEC East. Uh, I mean, first of all, of course this team's already clinched a division. I mean, who else would clinch a division in the eighth week of this, or in the ninth week of the season? Um, But this is because they play Georgia Tech as their final game of the season every year as rivalry games. they They have some conference games earlier in the year. It's not necessarily that they have this magnificent, enormous lead, although they are two games up, if you were to go by that, over Kentucky uh, with the tiebreaker over them. And that means that even if Georgia lost the last two games of the season, they would still end up with the same amount of losses as Kentucky, who's second place, and they would have the tiebreaker over them. So that's it. that cements it for them. Uh, the collision course is now set with Alabama for the SEC championship game. I still believe that even though obviously Alabama hasn't clinched that yet, they have played the tougher teams in their schedule. They already took the loss to Texas A&M. Uh, and they've already beaten Ole Miss. So they've really beaten the good teams in the conference. The only thing that could stand in the way of that happening is Auburn beating Alabama, and I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Um, but it, it, it could. I mean, I wouldn't count it out. Um, speaking of Georgia, Georgia will have Georgia will be number one in the playoff committee's top 25 tomorrow. I'm sure of it. 
But what will the playoff committee do with Michigan State, Ohio State, Alabama, Cincinnati, OU, and Oregon with the head-to-head matchups and easy schedules for some of them? I mean, Cincinnati has a very easy schedule, but it went over Notre Dame, which pretty much knocks Notre Dame out of this conversation, probably. Uh, Oregon has a bad loss at Stanford, but also a win over Ohio State. Ohio State only has their loss to Oregon. Michigan State has no losses on the year, but really only one crowning win. And Alabama has a loss to Texas A&M, who looks pretty good for the rest of the season, uh, but also some key wins over Ole Miss and some other SEC wins. And then you just have Oklahoma, who's kind of just floating there, playing only close games for the whole season with not the best schedule. I'm thinking they're going to go like this. I think Alabama number two, Ohio State number three, Cincinnati number four, Michigan State five, Oregon or sorry, Oklahoma 6, Oregon 7. What do you think? I think that you are missing what the playoff committee loves to do, which is part of their job, and they won't say they love to create drama, and they love to have uh, games. Isn't it drama to have an undefeated uh, American Athletic Conference team ahead of an undefeated Big Ten team coming off a big win? I also think if you look at their history, they like to do things and say things will work itself out when they play each other. So I think you're going to have... Alabama, number two, maybe Cincinnati, but I don't think it matters. I think Alabama and Cincinnati are going to be two and three. I think Ohio State, I think Michigan State's going to be your number four team. I think they're going to say they're, they're undefeated, that they're better than Oklahoma in terms of their wins, and that Oregon, that Oregon will be uh, number five or number six, and Ohio State will be on the outside looking in with the chance to beat Michigan State in head-to-head play. They set this up for drama later on. I don't think it's indicative of what's going to happen at the end of the day. But I think that they're going to have Michigan State above Ohio State and maybe even Oregon above Ohio State. Well, now let's move on from college football to our weekly review of NFL action. Patrick, what were the best games uh, from Week 8? Well, I'll start with the uh, customary overtime game that seems to happen every single week now in the NFL. Uh, I talked about it a little bit, the pick six that had the Titans go into overtime with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the Titans win that game 34-31, to but possibly their biggest loss since losing to the Jets. They will lose Derrick Henry for an estimated 6-10 to 10 weeks, although some reports say indefinitely and some say for the season. Uh, I'll say for the season if you're a fantasy manager, uh, and that would probably be only until the playoffs that he would come back if you look at, I mean, if you do the math on what 6-10 to 10 weeks is from now, uh, it's going to be a while. Uh, but I wouldn't rule him out for the playoffs, honestly, based on the reports. If you're looking at the 6-10 to 10 week range, if he returns towards the latter end of that range at 9 weeks, that's the final 2 weeks of the season, and that could allow him to play those final 2 weeks or play in practice in the last in the second to last week um, and then practice and play the last week, maybe for a few snaps and then get rested up for the playoffs and then play in the playoffs. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, the next game... That I have to talk about is the Patriots beating the Chargers 27 to 24 on the road. Uh, Bill Belichick has not won a game this year uh, unless it has been against a first-year head coach, which is very, very interesting. Even with a team like the Chargers, who are a very good team with a head with a first-year head coach, uh, as opposed to you know beating the Jets twice, um, this is his. This is still the way that he's going to win games. And I mean, a lot of people are putting a lot of hype behind the Patriots for winning that. I'm not so sure that they're not just out coaching people. Um, and we'll have to see what happens in the in the upcoming weeks. It, it they I, I think they will beat a team, a single team at some point this year without a first year head coach. But it's not true that this team's just going to walk over a lot of the middle of the pack teams. They're not actually that much better than people think they were at the beginning of the season. Uh, they're still four and four. Uh, moving on from that, I talked about it at the beginning. The Packers beating the Cardinals twenty four to twenty one. 
you could argue that this gave the Packers the crown to take as the best team in the NFC. I would give you another team for that, uh, but we'll talk about that later. And, uh, I mean, again, just a good win by the Packers on Thursday Night Football without a lot of their weapons, too, uh, which is something important. They won while being injured, uh, and also Kyler Murray is now injured, too. Uh, then you have Kansas City beating the Giants 20-17. to Not a best game because of how well it was played, but just because it was a close game, and it really doesn't fit in any of these other categories because neither of these teams impressed me. Uh, if anything, I would err more on the side of the Chiefs disappointing me because Patrick Mahomes and really all of the Chiefs had had kind of tabbed this game as a as a possible pivot point in their season where they play well and they play really really well against a good, against a bad team and it'll be emblematic of the rest of the season and how they continue to play or they lose this game and it really shows that this team just isn't very good uh, losing at home to the Giants and. Well, they did neither. Uh, they didn't blow the Giants out. They barely won. It took them a last-second drive. This is the type of win that you would expect with them playing the Ravens, uh, the Buccaneers, if they had played them this year. Teams like that, not teams like the New York Giants. So I'm not sold on Kansas City still. Uh, definitely, I mean, this game might have actually made me even lose even more confidence because I thought this would be a game where they would, you know, take out all their anger on a bad team. They didn't do that. So... Uh, Kansas City playing not one of the best games in terms of their standards, but a close game nonetheless on Monday Night Football. Yeah, turnovers keep biting the Chiefs this year. Uh, what about the most disappointing teams? Chiefs well, could have been there, but they didn't lose. Well, yeah, you lose to the Jets, and it's really hard to put any other teams in disappointing teams. The <laughs> only other ones, uh, the only other other ones, just have to do with the complete inability to score, uh, the also complete inability to score, and losing to a backup quarterback. Uh, well, the Bengals did. One of those two, they lost to a backup quarterback. Uh, Zach Wilson was out. Mike White was in the game. Uh, he threw for 405 yards on the Bengals' defense. How does that make Lamar Jackson look after that? He, he's probably like, wait a second, what did I miss in their defense that I couldn't throw for 400 yards against them? Who's this Mike White guy? Uh, but 34-31, the Jets win. Uh, out of their two wins in the season, both of them are against division-leading teams, ironically enough. Uh, well, I guess the Bengals are now not winning the division anymore, but at the time of the game, they were leading the division, and they also, their other one of the season is against the Titans, so pretty ironic that the Jets are only beating the good teams, uh, but you know what? That's what they're doing. The Jets are going to be the Jets, and sometimes that happens just like when they had the number one pick locked up and Trevor Lawrence locked up, and they decided to beat the Rams on the road. It was a great idea, probably tanked their franchise for another five years, and here we are today now with them winning even more games when they probably should be trying to lose as hard as possible. Um... Again, not very good. And speaking of not very good, the Dolphins actually now have a worse record than the Jets and are in last place in the AFC East after losing 26-11 at the Bills. Three first-half points. Their defense played a hell of a game to keep the offense in the game. And Tua Tagovailoa and the whole offense just could not do anything uh, to save themselves. They scored one fourth-quarter touchdown to make this game slightly respectable at 26-11. But really, this game was 26-3. Um, and after the Bills were only, were tied 3-3 three to three after playing a terrible, terrible, terrible first half offensively, you just knew that they were going to wake up in the second half, play a lot better, and just, if the Dolphins didn't have a response, they were going to blow them out of the water. Uh, the Dolphins had, they, they didn't respond at all. They played terribly, uh, and they lost because of it. Speaking of not playing very well, uh, Minnesota gave up 20 points, not too many points, but... It was not to the Dak Prescott Dallas Cowboys. It was to the Cooper Rush Dallas Cowboys. So a pretty embarrassing loss at home. And really, the Vikings with an opportunity to beat a good... I mean, 
a, a, an opportunity handed to them on a silver platter to beat a winning record team, one of the one one of the five one loss teams in the NFC, uh, with a backup quarterback, and they can't do it on their home field. Three and three, they they missed the field goal earlier in the year where they could have beaten the Cardinals and they could have been the only team to beat them before the Packers win against them. Uh, this is another blown opportunity right here. And finally, for most disappointing teams that will kind of slip into most impressive teams, the Lions scored six points this week. But actually, you know what? They're not disappointing. That's just that's just what you expect from them at this point. Let's move on to most impressive. All right. Well, start with where you were. Most impressive teams. Well, the before Lions. I, the Lions are not impressive, but they're also not disappointing. This is what you expect. The Eagles scored forty-four points this weekend. Who do you think they played? Of course, they played the Lions. Who who else could they score forty-four against? I don't think they could even score four points against really good teams. So forty-four has to be the Lions. And yes, of course, it was. Uh they lose this game forty-four to six. The Eagles had not run the ball all season long, uh, and they finally decided that they were going to do it, maybe because they were treating this as like a scrimmage game because, well, they're playing the Lions, and not to harp on it too much, but uh, 44 rushes for (laughs) the Eagles in this game. Jalen Hurts only passed for 103 yards on 14 pass attempts, 9 completions, and they gave up 44 points. Uh, it's embarrassing. The Lions are really, really terrible. And honestly, the reason why I think I'm impressed with the Eagles is Nick Sirianni came out and said some really stupid stuff about growth and roots and trees in their press conferences this week. And I feel like they actually blocked it out pretty well. And just instead of growing like a tree, they actually just dug the whole tree up and planted a different one and started to run the ball instead of relying on Jalen Hurts to pass the ball. And because of that, they won this game very easily. Uh, Moving on from that, Another team that can't really score, the Browns lost the Steelers, but I'm actually more impressed with the Steelers actually taking advantage, finally, of a drive where they could win the game, uh, and their defense playing well enough to win this very low-scoring 15-10 game, 15-10 uh, to 10 Steelers, they win this game. Finally, the Saints, I am very, very impressed with the fact that the Saints actually beat the Buccaneers while Jameis Winston went out in the middle of the game. And Tom Brady had an opportunity to win the game, and they did not. I, I, I mean, it's debatable whether it was a good defensive play or a really bad read by Tom Brady. Uh, most people will say it's a great defensive play just because Tom Brady is incapable of making bad offensive plays, but that's not true. He can make bad offensive plays. That was a terrible read. The dude was right there. Uh, he didn't see the safety coming up. P.J. Williams picked it off, took it for six. That won them the game, but I'm just really impressed that the Saints were able to uh, take off this win against a really good team uh, with a backup quarterback, although... Mark Ingram seems to have already made an impact, and uh, I love to see the Kamara and Ingram dual press conferences again. I love that already one week into that trade, he's already back doing that. That was probably the best NFL entertainment a few years ago, and now it's finally back. Yeah, three backup quarterbacks winning games that nobody expects them to win. Uh, maybe some of those guys are on your most impressive players list. Who do we have? Well, I have one of them. Mike White, 37 of 45, 405 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, two very, very early game uh, interceptions that made it, I mean, it looked terrible for um, the Jets. And then all of a sudden, uh, Mike White like turned it on. I mean, he just went crazy for the rest of this game. He even left the game injured for a little bit. Uh, And when it was all said and done, he actually ended up making a New Jersey resident a lot of money because somebody bet in New Jersey $1,000 that Mike White would lead the league in passing yards this week. And with 405, he did, and he won $125,000 off of that bet because, of course, a backup quarterback on the Jets would not have good odds to lead the league in passing for a week. 
Uh, moving on from a bad quarterback on a bad team, let's move on to another bad quarterback on a bad team. Jimmy Garoppolo was 17 of 28 completion, 322 yards and two rushing touchdowns to lead San Francisco to the win over the Bears. Uh, a good win nonetheless, and he played better this week, so I'll give him some credit for that. All right. What about uh, any overall takeaways from across NFL Week 7? Well, I'm going to quote myself from last week and then dive into it. The Cowboys, Packers, Bucks, Rams, and Cardinals will make up the top five of the NFC. That's what I said last week. The Saints have now beaten Tampa Bay, and Green Bay and L.A. look like the top two, although you would have to fit Arizona into that conversation still. But it also looks like, along with Tampa Bay, New Orleans, uh, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, uh, L.A. and Arizona, and Minnesota and Green Bay, they will make division winners slash wildcard combos in the NFC while the Cowboys take the lowly NFC East and no one else makes the playoffs from that division. But it's very interesting the playoff has really shaped out, shaped up pretty easily like that. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say that, look, Tampa Bay uh, has a loss to the Rams. They have a loss to the Saints, which makes the Saints look pretty good. The Rams' only loss on the season is to the Cardinals. The Cardinals' only loss on the season is to the Packers. And the Packers' only loss on the season is also to the Saints, actually. So... Whether that was a little bit of a fluke because the Packers week one just looked terrible uh, and the Saints haven't scored 38 points or anywhere close to it since other than this game where they got a lot of points from their defense, really. Um, This was still a really telling week in the NFC. I think it's really hard to figure out who are the best teams, although I would say that I'm going to have to say that the Rams are the best team in the NFC right now. Uh, with the Packers slightly, slightly behind, but just because of the way that those matchups work work against them, that they lost to a Saints team that also beat the Buccaneers, and the Rams still beat the Buccaneers, who, you know, lost to the Saints. So it looks like the Saints are really kind of playing the, the trendiest right now, but I think just with the talent level, look, let, let's let's put it how it is. Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, Jameis Winston does not belong in that conversation. And he actually won't be playing for the rest of the season because he tore his ACL anyway. So Jameis Winston's backup, Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill, whoever it be, uh, they don't belong in that conversation. So it is still those quarterbacks that will probably power those teams to long playoff runs. But the Saints defense is probably the best unit uh, on any of these teams uh, besides maybe the Rams are offense or the Packers offense. Well, and and the Rams just got some defensive fortifications coming, it looks like, in the form of Vaughn Miller from the, from the Broncos. Yeah. All right. Well, what other takeaways? Well, my last one, the Bengals, after a big letdown week, I think have seeded the AFC crown to Buffalo and Tennessee completely. There's no more, there's no more three-team race. Again, Baltimore, the Bengals, and the Raiders are still kind of sitting right behind those two, but I still think they are firmly behind those two. The Bills played a terrible first half and ended up still pulling out a win against a bad team. The Bengals played a bad half and couldn't scrape out a win against an even worse team, arguably. Uh, so the Bengals need to find a way to win those games. And the Titans, maybe because of the Derrick Henry injury, maybe that changes it a little bit. But until proven otherwise, uh, maybe Adrian Peterson can rejuvenate himself on the Titans, and maybe you end up with a good Titans team. And I, I think, honestly, as long as Julio Jones actually stays healthy for the rest of the year, the Derrick Henry injury might get mitigated a little more than we would think it would. And I think their defense has actually been playing better. Uh, and in turn, that might make up for it. Not entirely because Derrick Henry is an MVP caliber player that's irreplaceable, but might make up for it somewhat and might just kind of make that loss feel a little bit less terrible. So uh, maybe it's just the Bills sitting alone, though, without Derrick Henry in the mix. So uh, I think that's really what it is. Uh, I'd say the Bills and the Rams are the two best teams in the AFC and the NFC right now. Although, frankly, I might put four or five NFC teams before you get to the Bills. 
All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, November 5th, where we will have our last look at Major League Baseball as the World Series will have concluded by then. And we'll have our weekly analysis of NBA action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted on Thursday, his predictions for the entire college football and NFL seasons that are up already, the ninth installment of our college football top 25 poll, which will be published Tuesday, and his first NCAA basketball tournament. Yes, it's that time of year. NCAA Hoops is starting. That first bracket prediction will be published on Saturday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.